I'll tell you something really funny. Um, I, I'm not, if you're not like all into football or sports stuff like that, great. You know, I, I don't really watch sports either. Here's the funny thing. I did a wedding yesterday in Santa Barbara, and I come back to here, and I go to practice. And I come home from practice, and my wife works uh, the, the night shift at the hospital. And so she got up from bed, and when I come home, she's watching the football game. And I walk in, I'm like, I mean, I don't mind watching a bit song, but I really don't just turn on the football game to watch it. So, but there you go, you know. And I'm like, and then I actually shut it off because it was like 42 to 7, and I just went, I can't even look at this anymore. It was just, it was just terrible. Uh, I'm going to let you guys know one thing as we get going here, and that is uh, Eric Jafruti. Is Eric, are you in the service? Right there, send it for me. I haven't done this in their service. This is Eric's uh, one of uh, our other two elders that we have here, and He's seriously been doing a, a great job for the last three years, and right at the end of last year, our board voted to ordain him, so Eric is now ordained. I was going to have a little certificate, but that isn't really odd to do all three services. Give it back to me. Okay. You know, so there you go. That's so what it is. He can now marry and bury you. I can just pawn work off that way. Now, why don't you guys stand there reading God's word. We will get going with Genesis. It's Genesis 1.1. says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as a people ask that you would have us understand all that you mean for us to understand in the creation accounts, that we would look to you for our life and our salvation, and we would live the lives you originally called us to, understanding your story in full. Amen. Have a seat. So here we go, new year, new study. Uh, people have asked me how many weeks are the book of Genesis going to be in when I tell them their eyes get about this big, and they go, wow. Okay, so we are going to be in Genesis essentially 73 weeks. I have I planned it out and finally done three weeks ago, not done writing it, but planning out each week and how it's going to go. So 73 weeks, so next year you'll be in this room, hopefully if I haven't run you off yet, and you'll be in this room and we'll still be going through Genesis, and you'll be like, wow, a lot. Next summer, we'll do something else, but until then, Genesis, yay. It's a crazy thought, I know, but it's kind of cool. So we're going to jump right into this, get your lights to come on a little bit before we even kind of start the book, because Genesis starts not with the bird's eye view or the 50-foot view or the 1,000-foot view. Genesis starts with the 50-gazillion-foot view. It's what are we even doing here on this planet? What has God actually been doing since the very beginning? And hopefully in a year, year and a half, you will not be like, oh, that was so good. You will actually go, Oh, I get it now, because the lights will begin to come on. So today we start with the idea that where and how you begin a story and where and how you see the story ending will shape and determine what the story itself even is. Now, as Christians, we like to and should be telling the Jesus story, but even in that, there are various stories floating around. So we must understand where the story truly begins and ends to understand the full framework of this story. The Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is very easy to find, right? Right in the front, introduction, notes, table of contents, Genesis. There you are, all right? Uh, this is, Genesis 1 is poem. It is, it has re- rhythm and meter and cadence. At today's vernacular, we call this groove, okay? So it's got a nice little groove going on. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 3, there's a refrain, and God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 14, and God said, verse 20, and God said. What it does, it tells you that God's words create worlds. In a sense, our words do as well. 
the best way I can put this is imagine if, if you grew up and you never had a father that told you he loved you or a parent that said, I'm proud of you. You lived your entire life with that sense of loss. And then one day you hear, the, you hear those words, I love you, I'm proud of you. A whole new world has just opened up for you. And this is what God does in Genesis. He speaks and a whole new world opens up because God is a God who makes every moment ripe with possibility and wonder through the power of his words. That is Genesis, that is creation. Genesis 1 speaks of seven days of creation. In chapter 2, it changes from poem and it goes into story. There's a lot of similarities between chapter 1 and 2, but there's also significant differences between chapter 1 and 2. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And they retell this poem then in narrative, in story. You start with a garden and a river and some gems. In chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Why? Because he's not going to know what to wear. Like all guys, we just don't know... We don't know what to wear. Chapter 2 goes and starts to deal with relationship. Chapter 2, verse 25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Poem, narrative to relationship. Now go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Now the word here for sprout, it means to produce. It is the Hebrew word dasha. Everybody say dasha. The Shah. Creation is endowed by its creator with the ability to create life. It's not just that God makes a tree, but he makes a tree with the ability to make many more trees. So in a sense, God makes all the trees because God makes the trees that make more trees. Built into creation is this ability to make more. And we know this because of the weeds that grow through the cracks in our driveways. It's like I got a lawn and I got dirt and fertilizer and water and I can't get the grass to grow. But over here in the middle of my driveway, I got a little crack and I got a weed sticking out of it. And so I yelled to Shaw and then I spread down with Roundup as God intended. <laughs> See, if you look at creation and you just stood still in the midst of it, it would begin to grow over you. If we left this building vacant for 10 to 15 years, we would come back and you'd see weeds and grass, and we would say words like, it is overgrown, because God's creation is dynamic and changing. Which leads me to the question, is the Garden of Eden perfect? No. No. Excellent. Like one guy, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb, right? (laughs) No, it is not perfect. You cannot read into the text what is not there. God doesn't call his creation perfect. He calls it good. It is not static. It has not reached all he intends yet, so he calls it good. His creation is going to Desha. So he creates people, and he places them in this creation, and he gives them work to do. Genesis 1.26, he says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion means to rule. It's the word radah. Everybody say radah. Radah. So you're all great scholars. Uh, the word subdue is the word kabosh. It reminds you of like uh, world wrestling. You're like, I'm going to put the kabosh on you. Everybody say kabosh. There you go. You're all, again... Good at that. Uh, You could actually translate these words as responsibility and stewardship. God essentially takes these people and says, I have just created all these things. Now you get to make things. You get to create as well. 
And if you like landscaping or poetry or playing music or sculpting or construction or working on cars, that's about building and create, taking creation somewhere. It's about radah and kabosh. It's what God created us to do. And there is harmony. Uh, the scriptures call this shalom, peace. This is more than just not having war with somebody else. God's shalom, God's peace, means we everything in the right way at the right time. How God intends peace with God. And in this hierarchy is shalom. It is God people, creation. Peace and harmony come from that hierarchy. And if creation puts itself above people, it's not going to work. If people worship creation rather than creator, it is all out of whack. And if people decide to play God and not submit themselves, then they are destroying the order that God creates. And in essence, in a very simplistic way, this is what addictions are. It's looking simply for something from the earth to satisfy a deep need of the soul that can only be satisfied in Jesus. Now, I don't know if you can just see this from that little bit, but Genesis literally begins to speak to everything. Everything makes sense in light of Genesis. That's why we're studying the book. In chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And God blessed them. And this is very important, this word blessed. It's the word barak. And all of this in proper stewardship and healthy relationship, submitted to God, this is what God blesses. And when God, when we create in this type of thing, even today, God blesses that. Without trying to sound crazy or new age or anything like that, soil and spirit are united here. There are not two realms of the spiritual and the physical. Everything is connected. Heaven and earth are the same place. Genesis 1 and 2, there isn't some other place you go when you die because A, there is nowhere else, and B, you don't die. Genesis 1 and 2, there isn't a realm you escape to, the place where everything is in God, as God intends them to be. That's here. Heaven and earth are the same place. Have you ever done some activity in your life? And you're like, yes, this is what I love to do. I love doing this thing here. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe you like making food or maybe you like eating food or maybe you like uh, admiring beauty or harmony, activity or work or relationships, aesthetics, making things, education, worship, exploration, learning, responsibility, art. Maybe you look around and you want to bring about what's called the common good or common grace. You look at the world and you say, there are one billion people on this planet that don't have clean drinking water and we should do something about that. That's a Genesis 1 and 2 attitude. Maybe you're the person, you have a sock drawer, and it is separated by color and size and thickness. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe you have a junk drawer and your socks are in there, plus duct tape and gum in your passport. Well, that's Genesis 1 and 2 as well. Whatever makes you feel alive, you trace the fundamental core that is Genesis 1 and 2 and how God created his people. The story starts Genesis 1 and 2. Christianity, scriptures, Jesus, the whole story starts here. Now, leave your finger there if you're actually there and flip to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, we call this the end. And I think that's kind of funny because it's not. It's just the beginning, right? And so we'll look at the same kind of things there as well. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. And this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
Now, Genesis begins, heaven and earth being the same place. Revelation ends with heaven essentially crashing into earth. God now dwells in the midst of his people. Chapter 22, some of the headings say the river of life. Some say Eden restored. Chapter 22, verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So the river now flows into the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. And once we get through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll see how this tree kind of disappears, and now it comes back. Here, with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. It's like Santa Maria, year-round fruit. Praise God. Wonderful. Verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, the word reign here is the word baseluo. And what that means is to exercise influence or to participate with. This is interesting because you've got a river, trees, and a city, and fruit, and healing of nations, and proper relationships. They will participate with God forever and ever, working with God and stewarding, participating, guiding creation. Does that sound familiar? That sounds exactly like Genesis 1 and 2. Hebrew storytelling does not go beginning, middle, end. It goes beginning, middle, beginning. And most people, when they watch The Matrix for the first time, they're all irritated with it because it's Hebrew storytelling. It went beginning, middle, beginning. This is what the scriptures do. We end in the beginning, and the beginning is just the beginning. If you were to take all the sin out of the Bible with scissors, you'd have like two chapters. You have Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. Genesis 1 and 22, uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is about a garden. 21 and 22 in Revelation is about a city. And what is a city but a gathering of many gardens? And if a garden is properly cared for, more people participate, you have a city. Now open to Genesis chapter 3. It's all going to come together in the end, trust me. Genesis chapter 3. Something new gets introduced in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, the first people have violated a boundary that God has set for them. In the story, there is a tree. They are not to eat from this tree. If they eat from it, they will explore beyond the bounds of what God created them to be. And so what do they do? They eat from the tree because we're all like that and we're we're stupid. And what happens is we call this sin. They get separated from the peace and intent of what God created and they die. Genesis 3, 8, and 9, they've eaten from this tree. Now they're running around trying to hide in the garden away from God. Genesis 3, 8, and 9 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? Now does the creator of the entire universe have a hard time finding people in a garden? Is he like, where did I leave my rake? Where did that shovel go? No. Naked people, not that hard to find. All right? Just (laughs) throwing that out there. And so in a way, what God is saying is, where are you now? You weren't satisfied with the world I placed you when you tried to create some type of reality apart from me. You didn't like the hierarchy. You went outside of the boundaries you were created for. So where are you now? Are you pleased with this? Genesis 3 is what we call the fall of man. Man sinned, and they fell, and we pay the price ever since because we continue to react the same way that we think we can do our lives better than what God has called us to. And sin is many things. I'll just give you a few. Sin is the disruption of God's shalom that he originally created. We are created to have peace with God, each other, with creation, even ourselves. And sin is the ways we disrupt the way God intends for us to have that peace. We have violated God's peace. The second thing is sin is rebellion. We don't like the way God sets things up. We rebel against the order of things. We rebel against the world that God has made and the way it was made, and we destroy it in the process. 
Third thing is sin is participation in the way of death. Genesis is active. It is not static. And sin is when we try to steer things the opposite direction of God. This could be as individuals. This could be as families. This could be globally. Again, when one billion people on the planet go to bed hungry every night, that number to Christians should be shocking and offensive because there is enough food for everyone, but one billion people don't have it. The earth has deshod. The earth has deshod. But there are places on the earth where people are not ordering and managing so everyone's need is met. We have not redod and kiboshed correctly, and that is sin. And sin is also missing the mark. God has a mark that this is what people should be and what they're called to, and we're like, just all never hitting the mark that God sets up. That's sin. Genesis 3 introduces the idea that sin, this rebellion, disruption, missing the mark, is what we have fallen into. But Genesis 3 is not how the story begins. And thank God, Genesis 3 is not how the story ends. And we all say, yes, that's a good thing. And when we only talk about sin, we're not talking about the whole story. It begins, it does not begin and end in Genesis 3. When we talk about the story and the plot line, you have to talk about the actual plot line. That is why we are studying the book of Genesis. Anybody ever watch Seinfeld? Okay, a few of you, all right. In Seinfeld, they used to do this thing where they'd go, yada, yada, yada. Anybody? Yeah? No? Okay, for the five of us, that, that's great. Yada, yada, yada. You know, it's a great word. You know what it means in Hebrew? Confession. Confession. It's our admission and declaration before God that we have participated in sin and we need to be honest before Him. That we have furthered the way of death. We step farther into sin and not the life that God intended for us. We confess because we don't hide our sin. We call it what it is. Now, when I was a kid and I was growing up, my mom and my stepdad bought or ordered this new couch. They said it was coming. And when it gets here, you don't breathe on it. You don't look at it. You especially don't play in this room and sit on this couch. Apparently, you had that too when you were growing up. So, new couch arrives. We catch a glimpse as it goes into the most holy place, and there. And so they they put it they put it in the room. Only kids go once a year on on Christmas, the Holy of Holies. And maybe you didn't have a couch. Maybe you had towels in a bathroom, right? What are these? Oh, don't use those towels, right? Because it's like, what what do I do? They're towels. I'm not supposed to use the towels. So what I noticed about the couch when it showed up is it was chocolate. Great color for a kid. Color of dirt. Wonderful. We like that. And, and again, I don't even think they used it, but you know, it's like every other chair in the house when you sit upon, the day you sit upon this sofa, you will die, that, that kind of thing. It's a whole Genesis joke, by the way, in case we'll get there, okay? And then what happens is the fall happens, and this dark stain appears on the couch. My mom lines my brother and I up. She goes, who did this? And so we blame each other. We deny, oh, it wasn't us. We get spanked, but we never broke. You know why? We didn't do it. It was my stepdad. It was coffee, and he didn't confess. And so it was like, yeah, so, so, so we got it. Neil Plantiga writes this. He says, the awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated sin. They feared it, fled from it, grieved over it. Some of our grandparents agonized over sins. A man who lost his temper might wonder if whether he could still go to Holy Communion. A woman who envied for years her more attractive and intelligent sister might worry that this sin threatened her very salvation. In today's group, it's harder to tell. Where sin is concerned, people just mumble now. We no longer confess it. We no longer talk about it. But if we want to be a people who live the life that Christ calls us to, many times you don't need another message from me about God's forgiveness, as great as it may be, because that's not enough to liberate us. We need a way to live in the reality of that forgiveness. Confession is for our healing. Confession is a process. It's not just an act. Confession means taking responsibility for what we have done. And many times when we confess, we even try to end our confession with some type of excuse. I didn't mean to yell at you. I was having a bad day. 
Oh, I didn't mean to run you over in my car. I was looking for a CD. I was a distracted driver. You know, confession simply means we stop blaming everything else. I mean, that's the number one pastime in America is blaming. It's like my poor genes, my parents, my siblings, my chemical imbalance. I got too, ate too many Twinkies. And, you know, all those things could actually be involved in it. But confession means we own up to our own choice that was made by us to do something wrong. And then confession is paired always with repentance. Repentance is this word teshuva in Hebrew. It means to turn or return home. Coming to your senses is confession where you broke peace. And repentance is returning to the true way we were made to live. Genesis 1 and 2 with God and other people. In Genesis 3, you, you see this whole thing of sin that hits. And this is confession throughout the scriptures, but what you see God wanting to do throughout the rest of the scriptures is to shuva, to return, to bring people home. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. This is the idea that's the center of the Christian faith, knowing the beginning and the ending, and this massive disruption called sin that takes place in the middle. And you see this actually affects how Jesus says things. In Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus is speaking. And it says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world. And many people, they read, Oh, the new world, God's going to destroy this place, make us a new one, oh, it's going to be so wonderful. No. In, in a Jewish sense, when they would say the new world, that's a way of saying at the regeneration, at the renewal, that God loves the world he created, and he's going to bring it home in the new world when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Jesus points to a renewal, a restoration. Turn to Acts chapter 3. Then Acts chapter 3, you've got this guy named The Rock, another great wrestling motto right there. He's talking about Jesus as the Messiah coming to rescue his people from this way of death, from the fall. And in Acts 3.21, he's speaking, and this is what he says, Heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy promise long ago. God's promising a, a return. Open to Colossians chapter 1. A couple more books to the right. And Colossians 1, Paul is speaking of the cross and what is happening at the cross. He says it's more than a rabbi being killed. Paul says this is cosmic in scope. It is epic. It extends as wide as the universe. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, Paul says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. You know what all things translates as? All things. Glad you asked. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What Paul says is that the cross was an act on God's part to bring reconciliation to all things. Jesus speaks of renewal. Peter speaks of restoration. Paul speaks of the reconciliation of all things. The story is of a God who wants to put everything back together again. And if you start in Genesis chapter 3 as the primary place that you start, the only issue becomes the removal of sins. And then Christian makes, Christians make these stupid bumper stickers that say, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, bam, done. That's all there is. Really? All that Jesus is capable of is forgiveness? That's it? Now, yes, Jesus does forgive sins. But if you start in Genesis 3 as the beginning of the story, that's all he does. But if you start the story in Genesis 1, it's the story of restoration of shalom, of peace with God, of Radah and Kabash, and it includes the removal of sin, but extends to the entire cosmos. If you start in Genesis chapter 3, then our posture towards people is to make sure they know what they are not. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not sanctified enough. You're not righteous enough. All of which are true. But that's all that it is if you begin in chapter 3. 
you start in chapter 1, you get to tell people what they were meant to be. You were made in the image of God. You were meant to be a child of the King. You can be a son or a daughter of a loving Heavenly Father. And when God said, it is very good, He was referencing His creation of humanity. And you are more than an accident. You are made to have purpose and dignity and hope. And we have rebelled against what God created us to be. We have gone our own way. We have put ourselves in the place of God and caused massive devastation to creation. But God is inviting His people to return home. See, starting in Genesis 3 versus Genesis 1, massively different. If you start the story in Genesis 3, our posture becomes that we need to go up to strangers and give them tracts, convince them how wretched they are and how simple they are. Because if I can convince you how bad you are, I can show you how good God is. Again, this is true. You are terrible. I mean, you're just, you're, you're terrible. And God is good. And God is good. But if you start in Genesis 1, you get to explain what this looks like and how it came about and how God is restoring and redeeming all things. We understand how we got where we are. The story begins in Genesis 3. It's easy for the whole story to be about getting somewhere else, getting away from here. We talk about evacuation and the rapture and fire insurance and heaven is away from this dump that's here. This is what you need to know so this one glad morning you can fly away. That's what we tell people. It centers on God's redemptive activity being somewhere else. If you start in Genesis 1, it's about restoration and renewal. And God bringing all things together again, reconciliation with Jesus and others and creation and God working to bring heaven to earth. And that actually begins to make us live different lives because we were intended for so much more. And we are a people overwhelmed with the idea of rescue and redemption. Now, my question for you is, do most people start the story in Genesis 1 or Genesis 3 in their mindset today? Because, again, you know, there's, there's truth in both, but our view of salvation and Jesus and redemption will be shaped by where we see the beginning. So Genesis 1 or 3, where do people normally see it? Genesis 3. And I, and, and I say that because if you talk to people and you get them one-on-one, you get them really honest, and they start to talk to you about ideas of heaven, they will usually say, what am I going to do all the time? It sounds kind of boring. What if I don't like to sing? Because you're told, these, oh, you're going to sing forever. Really? Really? Great. You know, I'm just supposed to smile. God, God really wants to, to like grind this into me. I got it. Okay, I'll sing forever. I mean, really, that's all that God wants is for his people to get together and sing? I mean, he made some of you that can't carry a tune. We know that. We know that. Right? That, that's all we're going to... Oh, and I'm going to be in a, in a maw room and I'm going to sing. No. No. That, that's, if, you're, if your story begins in Genesis 3 for you, you have no idea what it looks like with cr- clouds and harps and chubby babies and, and, and all of this. But if it's Genesis 1 and heaven and earth actually coming together again, if heaven ends or Revelation says it does, that makes so much more sense. A Genesis 3 starting point leaves many people lost because they cannot see interacting with God and the things that they love. I've heard people say to me, well, you know, I know this isn't very spiritual, but I love being outside or I love hiking or I love camping. I love woodworking. I love gardening. I love, I love doing things. Great, that's a Genesis 1 and 2 starting point. And if you started there, you would see how deeply those things are rooted in God's people because this is what he intends for us to do for all of eternity. So my question for you this morning, Element, does the story begin in Genesis 1 and 2 or in Genesis 3? 1 and 2, 1 and 2. Last service, somebody goes, Genesis 3, and I go, okay, we're going to start from the beginning. Welcome, thanks for showing up, and you know, I'm going to walk this all again. 
Exactly. Genesis 1 and 2. That's where it starts. Because this is where Scripture starts. And this is where God begins to reveal Himself. And we must be people who understand that. And we hope that you join us in the coming 73 weeks. Because I guarantee you by the end of this, you will understand things so much better because of how God does this. Honestly, I will tell you this. That we are not even going to get into Genesis chapter 3 until March. We're going to spend these weeks up until March in Genesis 1 and 2 because it is so important. And it'll be interesting. You'll enjoy it. Trust all your money back, whatever. You know. You'll, we'll be okay. Um, but that's the point because we want you guys to walk out of here with a better understanding of Scripture, a better understanding of what God is doing. Because when we get that, we will begin to live different lives. Uh, the band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. Communion is the place where we break that cracker that reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. We dip it in the wine of the grape juice, reminding us that, that of his blood that was shed for you and me. So that we are this people who can be redeemed, who can then begin to live the Genesis 1 and 2 life that he calls us to. I mean, this communion is a place of great hope and great, re- and great renewal. So, this is the place this morning. Take communion in great joy and thankfulness and gratitude of who God is and what he has been doing. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer, maybe you've lived a lot of your life with the Genesis 3 attitude. And you've spent like your whole life kind of angry at God because he's going to make you sing forever. Well, you know what? Go and pray with him because that's a totally terrible attitude to have. I mean, heaven and earth coming together. Eternity, we are going to be participating with and working with God and doing things. Up to this day, God, Scripture tells you, God still works. That's what he is doing. And he intends for his people to do the same thing. And so, believe me, it's not going to be boring. It's probably greater than we can ever possibly imagine. Uh, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is simply part of our worship. We give you the opportunity every week. We don't pass the plate. It's a response to what God has done for us. And then there's some cookies and stuff in the back. Uh, there were some snickerdoodles left over from the ping pong tournament yesterday, and uh, I ate some, and they're awesome. Say, and I, was t- I tell you services, I think it would be great if, you know, when heaven and earth united and, and someone in, in the great grace of God makes snickerdoodles forever. And, I, and I'm standing there just giving them great props. Oh, snickerdoodles. Oh, way to go. And then I go to the milk dead guy and I go, oh, milk dead guy. You know? <laughs> Put a desire in somebody's heart to make those things. And they are good. It's awesome. This is the thing. And you see, this, this is the joy that God intends for his people to experience through all of eternity. And so this morning, I just want you guys, when you walk out of these walls, begin to live Genesis 1 and 2, the restoration of all things. Bring heaven to earth by how you live your life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that you would take us as a people and have us always remember what you originally created us to be and what you created us for. And that we would trust you for that and not trust ourselves for all the crazy ideas that we try and place upon you. We ask that you'd reveal yourself more and more through this study of Genesis to us. And that we would find great joy in a God who has given us much more than we could ever hope or imagine. We ask that you would take us and have us begin to live lives that reflect who you are in the proper context and everybody we come into contact with. Father, for people in this room who have not trusted you with their lives, I ask that you be speaking great truth to them this morning. And that you would bring renewal and redemption to them. For those of us who have trusted you, I ask that you would continue to convict us to live lives that bring you great glory as we live out heaven coming to earth and the redemption 
that Paul has said has already been given to us as your people. Have us properly reflect the great grace of who you are as a God who has given us much. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.